Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. Good morning. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11, and as you're turning there, I have on the screen a bumper sticker that maybe you've seen, maybe you haven't, but it says this, life is hard, then you die. There's other bumper stickers that are a little bit more colorful for a church gathering. I just chose this one, and As we look at that bumper sticker that says, life is hard, then you die, how many of you are like, amen? Amen. Like, how many of you can resonate with that idea? And what I want to do this morning is actually say to you that in the midst of the hard life, there's rest. In the midst of a $550 water bill, there's rest. That's a true story. In the midst of broken relationships, in the midst of cancer, in the midst of going to work every day, in the midst of all these things every day that you and I face, in the midst when life is hard, there is rest. We find ourselves this morning as we walk through the book of Matthew at the end of Matthew chapter 11, and we come to a pretty familiar passage of scripture if you have grown up in the church, and I'm going to read verses 27 through 30, and then we'll pray. Jesus says, all things have been committed to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Father, as we attempt in this crazy, sin-filled, Satan-controlled world, try to deal with all the brokenness and all the hardships and all the burdens. Spirit, we pray that you'll help us to find rest as we come to Jesus this morning. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. It's one thing to ask what Christ has done. So we could list off all these things about who Jesus is and what he came to do. He died on the cross for our sins. He is born of a virgin. He came to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies. So we could list all these things about what Christ has done. But I want to ask the question is this, is do you know who he is? Apart from defining what he has done. 
Obviously, these two ideas are bound up together of what he has done and who he is, but they are at the same time, even though they're like, they're two sides of the same coin, they're distinct. So you might know the gospel story. You might know that Christ died on a cross and he rose again on your behalf. But do you know his deepest heart for you? Do you live with the the continual awareness, not just that he generally died for you, but do you live with the awareness of his longing and his heart for you in the midst of your hardships? So for example, to make this point a little bit more clear, a spouse might be able to tell much about their other spouse. A spouse might be able to tell other people about their spouse's height, their eye color, their eating habits, his education, his job, his cooking skills, his cleanliness, how many socks he leaves around the house. He'd be able to tell you this list of things, but can you actually do something more than that? How do you communicate that gaze across the table over a dinner at your favorite restaurant? That look that you give or that you receive that reflects the years of an ever-deepening relationship, of the thousands of conversations you've had, of the billions of fights that you've had, to come to this place of this look, of this this assurance of embrace, this assurance that no matter what comes, they are not leaving. That glance of protection, that glance of acceptance. In short, what can we say about our spouse's heart for us or your heart for your spouse? Do you know Jesus's heart for you? Or can you just list off his eye color? his traits, his personalities. But do you know the deep heart of Jesus for you? It's interesting, in 89 chapters of material, that's all the chapters of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's only one verse in all the Gospels that tells us of Jesus' own heart. Obviously, throughout all four of those Gospels, there's all sorts of things that describe who Jesus is and what he has done. But there's only one verse where Jesus describes his own heart. That's interesting. We learn all about his prayer life. We learn about his love for the marginalized. We learn about his great teachings. We learn about his amazing miracles. We learn about his fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. We learn about him putting people's ears back together. We hear about his cruel and ast- death and astonishing resurrection. But there's only one place where you learn about his heart. There's only one place where Jesus opens up and says, this is my hearts. And it's interesting, when we come to this one place where Jesus opens up his heart, it's, it's not that my heart is austere and it's demanding and that I expect things from you. Jesus' heart is not one where he defines it as exalted and dignified. It's not even one where his heart that he says that he's joyful and generous. When we let Jesus speak on his own terms... There's only one place in all of Scripture that we learn about Jesus' own heart and how he describes it. In church, how does Jesus describe his own heart? Matthew chapter 11 says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. 
And when the Bible speaks of your heart, whether Old Testament or New Testament, we're not speaking just of our emotional life, not just of our feelings, not just of, uh, of like what we would call in love, but love in your heart in the Bible is the animating center of all that we do. It animates you. It's what gets you out of bed. It's what you dream about. It's what you dream about. It is our motivation headquarters. The heart is is not part of who we are. It's the center of who we are. And when Jesus tells us what animates his heart, what is the center of all that he is and all that he loves, what does he say animates him? What does he say is the center of his heart? That he is gentle and that he is lowly. Jesus is gentle and he's lowly. What does it mean that Jesus is gentle? Matthew uses this word, I have this on the screen for you as well. Matthew uses this word gentle two other times in his gospel. In Matthew chapter 5, he says, Blessed are the gentle. Most translations translate this, the word meek, but they're the exact same word in Matthew 5, 5 and the passage we're in this morning. Blessed are the gentle. In Matthew 21, in a few chapters later, he'll say this, say to your daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. This word is used one other time by Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 3, and it says this, Rather, it should be that your inner self, the unfading beauty, this is of a wife, of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. When Jesus describes his own heart for you and me, he uses the word gentle. Jesus is not trigger happy. Jesus is not harsh. Jesus is not reactionary. Jesus is not easily exasperated. In fact, we would say he's the most understanding person in the universe. The posture that Jesus has for us that's natural to him is not one with a pointed finger, but one with open arms. Are you gentle towards people? Or is your first reaction to point the finger at someone else and blame someone else? See, Jesus' first reaction is an open arms of gentleness and come. And there is not going to be reactions. Because he's gentle. And the very core of his being, Jesus describes himself as gentle. But he also describes himself as lowly. Lowly here has the idea of humility or, or humbleness. And this idea of humility in the New Testament often takes on two connotations. One is a virtue of just being humble. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is like a virtue that we are growing in our Christian life by the power of the Spirit of becoming humble people. But there's another way that the word humble is used in the New Testament. And it speaks of people who have, uh, have destitute circumstances, who are downward in life. People who are going through a very hard, difficult time. So, for instance, in Luke chapter 1, when Mary is, we call it Mary's Magnificat, Mary's song, while pregnant with Jesus, she uses the same word to speak of the way God exalts those who have humble estates. 
people who are low in the socioeconomic realm, people who are brought low because of all the circumstances in life, they are not high and mighty and powerful. Paul uses this word as well when he says not to be haughty, but to associate with the lowly. Referring, associating with the socially unimpressive, those who are not the life of the party, but rather when you open your doors to your house, you're just like, oh man, those people came, dang it. Those are the lowly. The people that make you cringe when they show up. And Jesus says this is who he is. Not one who came in power and glory and might, but one who actually set aside all of that and came and set himself, in a sense, in the margins. One who is lowly. And the point that many commentators make from this is that Jesus is saying that in his lowliness, he is accessible. In all of his resident glory, in all of his holiness, his supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in all of human history is more approachable than him. When Jesus describes his own heart, he's actually telling us that he's approachable, that he's gentle, that when you come to him, He's not going to just reject you. He's not going to scream at you. He's not going to point his finger at you. He's going to receive you. This is Jesus' posture towards you. But we do find out something in this passage that he does not act this way indiscriminately. What I mean by that is he only acts this way towards certain people. And that might sound crazy. Hold on. Who are the people who Jesus acts out of the pureness of his heart, gentle and lowly? Well, the invitation is this. Come all of you who are what? Weary and burdened. To those who are weary and burdened. And as we'll see in a few moments, to those who take on his yoke. These are the people to whom Jesus opens his true nature, his heart of being gentle and lowly. Those who are weary, burdens, and take on his yoke. He invites the weary. Weary here is those people who have labored hard day and night. Those people who have struggled to, to meet their finances, have four jobs, are working all day long. Those of you who are just flat out tired, not because of daylight savings time, yes, but because just your life is one of tiresome, of, of much work, of much labor. And Jesus also says, come to me, those who are burdened. Come to, those, come to me, those of you who have all of these mounting, continual things being added to you so that your life just feels like you wake up every day and you're just like, here comes another wicked, hard day. Like, how many of us wake up excited for the day? Or how many of you wake up with, oh man, here's 15 things I got to take care of? When you find those days that you can enjoy, enjoy. 
But if we're honest, I think most of us wake up with, oh man, I didn't do that yesterday. I got these five things to do. I got this bill to pay. I got all these things going on. And Jesus says, this is who comes to me. Come all of you who are weary and burdened. The burden here, interestingly, has two levels. The burden, number one, is of all the pharisaical laws and all of the rules and all of the extra uh, stipulations that the religious leaders are placing on the people. So, I don't know if you're familiar with how Pharisaism worked in the Pharisees, and if you've been around redemption, we kind of bang on them, but there's also a reason why they do all that. But what they would do is they would take one rule of God, and then they would put a fence around that rule, and they'd put a fence around that rule, and put a fence around that rule, so that you'd actually have to bulldoze your way through five gates to actually break God's law. Does that make sense? So they would be adding to the laws. Why? To ensure that we never broke God's laws. And all of these extra gates that the Pharisees were putting on the people were burdens. But it's not just a spiritual burden. I think it's actually a life burden, life's afflictions, the things that we've been talking about, the things that we struggle with every day of our life. So whether you're under the burden of legalism and trying to please in self-righteous way your way to God, or whether you're just burdened every day with all the struggles of your life, Jesus says, come. Come to me with your weariness. Come to me with your burdens. And here's where we go wrong, and here's where the legalism comes in. How many of you wake up self-sufficient saying, I am going to overcome my weariness, and I'm going to overcome my burdens? And Jesus says, don't do that. He says, come to me. He invites the weary and the burdened. He invites you to come. He wants you to come. Why? Because he himself is like that. He himself knows what it is to be weary and burdened. And he is the one who has revealed the Father to us, and he is the one who knows the Father. And so when we come to him, he actually reveals the Father's love to us. Jesus says, come to him. He invites you to come. In a sense, he demands that you come. Not with your resume, not with all the things that you've done, but to come with your list of burdens, to come with your weariness. But he also says not just to come in your weary and your burdenness, to come, but he also invites you to take on his yoke. Okay, now, I don't know how many of you know what a yoke is. Um, I thought I did, and I kind of knew what it did, but I looked it up. I have some pictures on the screen for you of what a yoke is. It's, a, it's an apparatus that you put two animals together, usually um, like here with cows, for the, you know, the purpose of working the grounds. Usually put them in two together, and so it's this apparatus that is controlling and has authority over these animals. And it's a picture of like a burden. It's a picture of that these animals are now going to obey. They're going to be subordinated in, in a life of servitude. And Jesus says to take his yoke. Take his yoke upon us. It's interesting. It sounds, doesn't sound very good, does it? 
take my yoke? <laughs> I don't want any yoke on me. I want to be free, right? How many of you think that? That's what I think. I don't want Jesus' yoke. I want no yoke. I want nothing on me. I want to just be free. Here's the stupidity. You're never free. You always have some yoke on you. There's always some yoke of the world that is actually on you, controlling you, that you live according to its standards. So the idea that you can actually just be free of any yoke is absolutely foolishness. It is, my favorite word, tomfoolery. To believe that you can actually have no yoke upon you. Jesus isn't saying, look at all these people over here. They're just living free, having a great time. But hey, if you want rest, take my yoke. No, we all got yokes. We're all got things around our necks that are controlling us, that are dictating us. Some of us have the yokes of politics. Others have the yokes of sins that are enslaving us. Others have yokes of idols that are deeply controlling us. We have yokes that belong to this world. However you want to divvy that up, you have a yoke on you. We all have burdens. We're in servitude. And because of sin in this present world, and because we are sinners, we are always being yoked down. And Jesus is inviting you not to just put on his yoke because before him you didn't have any. No, he's actually saying, if you put on my yoke, my yoke is what, he says? Say again. Easy. My yoke is easy. Here's something I learned this week. That this word easy is the exact same word in Ephesians 4.32 that says, be easy easy to one another. You know what that, I should, if I did the King James, maybe no. Be easy to one another, right? Be kind to one another. This word, be, my yoke is easy, is Jesus actually saying, my yoke is kind. Jesus is offering a yoke that isn't one that's of servitude and one that is actually forcing you and enslaving you. He's actually offering a yoke that is kind. Jesus is kind of using some irony here, saying that the yoke that he puts on them is a non-yoke. Because a yoke of kindness, who could resist having someone con being controlled by kindness? And for those of you who still think it's troubling to put on a yoke, even if it's kind, it's like telling a drowning man that he must put on the burden of a life preserver. Only to hear him shout back, no way, I'm not putting on that life preserver. When it's actually the life preserver is kind's. It's protecting him in the stormy waters. It doesn't remove the stormy waters, but it protects him. And that's what we're all like. Confessing Christ with our lips, but generally avoiding the deep yoke that Jesus is inviting us into. His yoke is kind. His burden is light. And when Jesus gives us his yoke of kindness, when he is actually controlling us with his love and his kindness... It's interesting, he's there with us. 
He's in the mess with us. He never tires of being with us in our mess. This is Jesus' heart, to be gentle, to be present, to be accepting, to be accessible. We could say it this way, it's what gets him out of bed in the morning. And when we come to Jesus in the midst of the hardness of life, when we understand his heart for us, and we come on and take on his yoke of kindness, he promises something. He promises that you will find rest. Rest. How many of you would like to take a 24-hour nap? Anybody? Just nice 24-hour nap. Just, if I could get a five-hour nap, if I get an eight-hour nap, if I could just get some rest, my life would be all better. Ever taken that nap and you woke up and it's worse? That's what a nap offers you. It's not true rest. True rest is the trust of your soul, of your heart, of your animating center. This is interesting. Jesus is picking up on a phrase from Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. It's on the screen. When Jerusalem is uh, under siege in the Old Testament, and they've rejected God's promise of rest because they've chosen their own yoke, they've chosen their own way, Jeremiah says this, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Jesus is actually saying he's the ancient path. He's the way to walk into a place where you will find rest for your souls. We need to be very clear that when we say that Jesus offers you rest, he is not offering you a life of ease and safety for the rest of your life. When you have Jesus, you still have a bumper sticker that says life is hard but there's rest for your souls. That's what Jesus offers. He doesn't offer just a great life and a free from struggle life. No. He offers, says, come to me, and in the midst of the hardness and the weariness and the burdens of your life, I will give you rest. Jesus is gentle. He's lowly. And when we come and take on his yoke of kindness, he will provide a rest for your souls that you cannot find anywhere else. This is the heart of Jesus for you. And I want to encourage us in the midst of the craziness of life to come running to him because his heart is to be with you to accept you, and to encourage you in your mess. So Jesus, we pray that you'll help us to know your heart. 
so well that we will come running to you in the midst of our burdens, in the midst of our tired, hard lives. And I pray that you'll allow us to experience that rest. To have a peace in the storm. To have a calmness around the raging seas that only you can provide. And church, as we partake of communion together this morning, I want to encourage you to just take a minute before we introduce communion and before we take together, just take a moment and pray and ask the spirits to show you areas in your life where you're tired, where you're wearied, where you're burdens, and where you're trying to take it on yourself and put on your own yoke to make your own way. And ask the Spirit to show you to take on Jesus' yoke. So just take a moment and fellowship and pray with the Spirit. And in just a moment, we'll take communion together. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.